Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. And as usual tonight, I'm joined by my partner in this endeavor, the man who was happier about Josh Gordon being reinstated than I've ever been happy about anything in my entire life. It is, of course, Evan Silva. Evan, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Yeah, Thursday night, we're doing our preseason DFS live broadcast, and Schefter breaks the news, and Levitan breaks the news on our on our show, and it was just pure elation. <laughs> Josh Gordon is back, and, you know, it, it goes much further than, oh, I've been drafting a lot of Josh Gordon, and, you know, our subscribers have been drafting a lot of Josh Gordon because we had him way above his ADP. You know, it's just, it's going to make the product better in the NFL when we have the best players. You know, so um, I, yeah, I was really, really happy about it uh, from multiple angles and um, really happy that a lot of people uh, that subscribe to Establish the Run were able to benefit from it as well. Yeah, we're going to get into, obviously there was a ranking change on Josh Gordon and we're going to get into that there. But man, Evan was so, so, so happy. I wish I could have had uh, that much joy. But yeah, anyways, on this episode, we're going to break down and analyze recent changes that Evan has made to his top 150 rankings list. Uh, we know that season-long draft time is is just about upon us here. I mean, we're taping this on Sunday night, August 18th. And I think that understanding recent changes in value uh, is a big edge if you're in a competitive league um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, by the way, wanted to quickly mention that while these pods are free, once we get to the season, we will be doing two shows per week, but they will both be part of our in-season package at EstablishTheRun.com. The two shows will both be late in the week, which to me is the most valuable time. They'll be Friday night going position by position through the slate and then Sunday morning leading right up to kickoff uh, around 1 p.m. So if you're interested, head to EstablishTheRun.com backslash subscribe. It'll tell you very clearly there what's in our in-season package. I'd go there soon as prices may not last. Okay, Evan, enough of that. Let's get to the business at hand. We have had a lot of news and a lot of changes to your top 150 since we last discussed them. Let's get to it. Evan already alluded to it. We already talked about it. Josh Gordon is back, baby. Uh, I think people following this closely saw this was a very realistic possibility. Uh, And what sticks out to me is that the Patriots need him so, so, so desperately. You know, Gronk retired. Nikhil Harry banged up, and we're unsure where he is in terms of his preparation. Philip Dorsett, I think, is pretty dusty. Uh, you moved Josh Gordon Evan from wide receiver 53, which was already pretty high, to wide receiver 26. Uh, tell the people what you think Josh Gordon, his outlook is going to be now that he's back in New England. Yeah, and we, you know, we had it in our top 150. We had it in our Patriots team preview, in our wide receiver tiers. We're just like, you know, draft him multiple rounds ahead of his ADP because the writing was on the wall that he was probably going to get reinstated, that it was a little bit better than 50-50. And, um, but what I did not necessarily expect was Josh Gordon being eligible to play in week one. Um, I thought that he might get like another little suspension tacked on, but apparently Roger Goodell gave him credit for time served. If you remember, he missed the last couple of regular season games, all three playoff games. So that was basically his you know, five-game suspension. Um, so yeah, I hiked him up from wide receiver 53 to wide receiver, wide receiver 26. He's right behind Allen Robinson. Uh, so I basically have him as a fifth or sixth round pick. Now he still has a low four because, you know, he's got to, he's got to stay in line. Um, you know, he, I'm sure that they're going to drug test the heck out of him all season long. Um, 
Uh, I did, uh, I, and, and as a, a fallout from Josh Gordon being eligible uh, for week one now, I moved Julian Edelman down one spot. Um, he's now my wide receiver 15. I bumped Tom Brady up a full quarterback tier. Uh, last year when Josh Gordon was in the lineup, Tom Brady averaged almost two more yards per pass attempt uh, with Gordon in the lineup. That is huge. You know, that's going from seven yards per pass attempt, which is like mediocre to below average, to like nine yards per pass attempt, which is elite. Uh, now, Nikhil Harry is out of the top 150, and he's not draftable in season-long leagues. Also has turf toe. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like Josh Gordon as a fringe fifth, sixth-round pick now. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing people are going to say is, hey, uh, Tom Brady can't throw deep anymore. Tom Brady just looks to check it down. I think people don't realize how efficient or, or uh, how good Tom Brady was when he was throwing at Josh Gordon last year. So, uh, and as I mentioned, I just think they need him so, so, so badly. I mean, they went from big trouble at wide out to injecting a talent like Josh Gordon is um, and having a lot of upside there. So uh, yeah, certainly interesting. Happy to see Josh Gordon back. Uh, All right, Evan, second guy we're going to talk about here, rankings change, is Aaron Jones and a guy that we've talked about a couple times already, but I had to bring him up again because you have come around. He is now up to running back 15 ahead of Derrick Henry ahead of Leonard Fournette, ahead of Todd Gurley. Uh, Aaron Jones, when he came off that hamstring injury, went right back to starting right away with the starters, with the ones in practice. Uh, why the move now, though, Evan, to finally come around on Aaron Jones and get him up to the top of that tier? Yeah, we talked about this on the last ranking show, how I was, you know, I'd look at the rankings like every day and I'd think about moving him up. And then I just determined that it was that time. You know, it was time to get Jones into that third running back tier, which is a pretty big tier, uh, but he belongs in it. His talent has never been in doubt. Um, knock on wood, their offensive line has been healthy throughout camp. He uh, just came back from his hamstring injury, and I think he should be all systems go. So I took him from RB19 to RB15, uh, up a tier, and I feel pretty comfortable with it. He's right behind Devontae Freeman and Marlon Mack, and now he's ahead of Leonard Fournette and Gurley and Derrick Henry. Um, you know, I think that you know, he's he's right near his ADP right now, and I, I, I think that's a good spot for him. Yep. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there now. This next guy is, is tough, though, man. I don't know what the Colts are doing. First of all, Jim Irsay is just like a total maniac. I don't even know if he knows what he's saying half the time. Andrew Luck, some type of calf, ankle issue. Um, the Colts sound somewhat concerned at least concerned enough to shelve him for the entire preseason. They weren't sure exactly what was wrong with him. They think they know how to solve it now. You decided to move him back to QB5 behind Baker Mayfield, behind Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what's your concern level right now on Andrew Luck? Yeah, and I, it's a pretty small move. Um, and it's another situation where whenever I look at the rankings, I think about even moving him down more. But, you know, he's – He's entering this season with the best offensive line and pass catcher core of his career. Uh, Chris Mortensen of ESPN had a report that the Colts are, quote unquote, cautiously optimistic that Andrew Luck will be ready for week one. Uh, I talked to Dr. Chow actually multiple times about this, and he definitely has a level of concern about Andrew Luck. But he also said that it's something that Andrew Luck can play through if he takes a shot before a game. And Andrew Luck is tough as nails. Uh, I mean, he played an entire season with a torn labrum in his throwing sh- shoulder. So I still think that the, the odds are, are better uh, that he's going to play in week one. Um, I guess, you know, to what extent is he more vulnerable to a setback or, 
You know, is it going to affect his performance? That's where the concerns come in. Um, so, you know, he's, again, the, the reason that I moved him down is because he's not someone that I want to aggressively draft at this point, but he's still someone that I am willing to draft within the, the first five quarterbacks. Uh, have you thought about affecting this injury, affecting how you would rank T.Y. Hilton, uh, Marlon Mack, um, Jack Doyle, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Um, I, you know, the, the move that I made on Andrew Luck just was a small move. So I didn't move any of his pass catchers, but certainly, you know, if I'm like in the the 10th round and I'm looking at, you know, I don't know, Devin Funchess against somebody else, uh, I might just lean toward the other person because that other person probably, you know, has a quarterback that isn't dealing with a calf injury that they've been, you know, that that Andrew Luck has been dealing with since March. So uh, certainly like when I'm on the clock, when I'm on the board, uh, I'm going to be thinking about it whenever I consider taking Devin Funchess or, Paris Campbell or, you know, even Marlon Mack to some extent and, and T.Y. Hilton. All right, let's move to the San Francisco running back situation. Jerick McKinnon, uh, his rehab from his ACL has not been clean. He's had multiple setbacks now. Uh, he had another setback and it looks like he might not even be ready for week one. We've seen speculation that Jerick McKinnon will start the year on pup. Raheem Oster can't stay, help, can't play game uh, and stay healthy. It seems like we're down to a two-man backfield now for all intents and purposes, Evan. Uh, you have moved Tevin Coleman from RB31 to RB26, and also Matt Breda, a guy that we got in our FFPC draft, uh, from RB44 to RB35. Um, I'm optimistic about this backfield. I think Tevin and Breda are both pretty good players. Um, where do you think in with the San Francisco backfield? So the beat writers seem to expect at this point that Jarek McKinnon is going to open the season on IR. Um, he can't go on PUP because they practiced him for one day. And so now he's ineligible for PUP and going on IR, he could end up missing the entire season or they could try to bring him back at mid season or late in the year. But I mean, obviously he's out of the picture. So the first thing that I did was move Breida way up. Um, and because, you know, because as you mentioned, this backfield just went from a three man deal to a two man deal. And that's really, really big. It's to a situation where both of these guys are going to be at worst flex options on a weekly basis. And I had Matt Breida as the biggest beneficiary of that. Jarek McKinnon's best attribute uh, was his receiving ability. And I think that Matt Breida is a better receiving back by a little bit at least than Tevin Coleman. Coleman also got a little bump. Um, you know, this is still a committee, but, but Tevin Coleman is pretty secure right now, I think, as the lead guy in the committee. And Matt Breida is the 1B back. And the 49ers have one of the easiest run defense schedules in the league this year per sharp football. And last year, the 49ers backfield collectively finished with the fifth most yards from scrimmage in the NFL. They're bringing back all five offensive line starters after finishing top 10 in uh, football outsiders run blocking metric. I love drafting Matt Breida like in the ninth or 10th round and really haven't seen the appropriate amount of movement on his ADP after the Jarek McKinnon setback still a guy that he, he, he's a guy that you just should be taking in literally every single draft. Uh, by the way, if you want to watch Evan and I uh, take Matt Breda, we did, uh, uh, we videotaped ourselves during our last FFPC 350 draft. I think it went pretty well. We did end up with Breda. Uh, Evan, let's move to Antonio Brown. What a mess this is, man. And we had new news on Sunday that uh, Mike Mayock like called him out in the press saying, you know, you're either all in or you're all out, either show up, with the helmet we give you or you find or don't show up 
uh, at all. I mean, I assume that Antonio Brown's ADP is absolutely tanking. You've been way down on him uh, the whole time. Yeah, this situation just continues to be a disaster. And we've had Antonio Brown as a fade and as an overvalued guy and as a prime bust candidate since the day that we put content on Establish the Run on July 15th. Um, his ADP has somehow stayed in the, in the top 10 receivers to this point. But the highest that we've had him is wide receiver 12. Right now he's at wide receiver 14. So you are not getting Antonio Brown if you're using our rankings and our tiers, and I'm very, very fine with that. Um, you have this craziness with the foot thing. Now with the helmet thing, he's talked about retiring multiple times. Does he really even want to play? I mean, I don't want my second-round fantasy pick talking about retiring and skipping training camp where Antonio Brown needs to be developing chemistry and practice with his quarterback, Derek Carr. Um, the Raiders' offensive line is already falling apart. You have, as you mentioned, Mike Mayock coming out and calling out Antonio Brown in the press. He's literally practiced for 30 minutes in training camp. Yeah, I'm just I'm letting other people draft Antonio Brown this year. I'm just going to take another guy. Yeah, and I think if even if Antonio Brown wasn't like mentally unstable, uh, which I kind of think he is, uh, I had concerns about him anyways. Going from a place in Pittsburgh which was so 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 pass heavy and so vertical, and had Ben Roethlisberger to a place like Oakland. Uh, with Derek Carr and a questionable scheme and, and a questionable talent around him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So even if you took all the off-field stuff away, I thought Antonio Brown was a pretty reasonable fade uh, in this spot anyways. Uh, I wanted to get your take on one of Antonio Brown's old teammates a long time ago, Emmanuel Sanders, because man, I cannot believe this, Evan. Uh, at 32 years old, Emmanuel Sanders coming off of an Achilles tear apparently is like 100%, allegedly. And uh, plans to be uh, playing... Week one, actually, I think he might play tomorrow night in the preseason game. We don't know yet. Uh, I, again, tonight is Sunday. They play Monday night. Have you considered moving down Deshaun Hamilton and moving Emmanuel Sanders into the top 150? I don't believe you have him in there right now. Yeah, the reports have been consistently positive on Emmanuel Sanders' recovery all offseason and deep into camp and preseason, and that, that's great. You know, I'm happy for Emmanuel Sanders, but I don't want Emmanuel Sanders on my fantasy team. I don't want any 32-year-old receiver – coming off a late-season Achilles tear on my fantasy team when his quarterback's Joe Flacco uh, and could eventually be a second-round rookie in Drew Locke on a run-first team. So you can have Emmanuel Sanders. I'm not taking him. He's not going in the top 150, and I'm going to be stubborn about that, and I'm totally fine with it if I'm wrong. You know, this is, this is a process thing. Uh, I may have to move down to Deshaun Hamilton. Um, that, that's, you know, I probably should. Uh, but no, I'm not jumping on the Emmanuel Sanders train, uh, you know, yeah. considering his situation, his offensive environment. No, no, thank you. Yeah, uh, I've faded 30 year olds for much less than blowing out their Achilles eight months ago. I mean, I can't believe that this rehab it's it's like mind boggling. And maybe we'll have to talk to Dr. Chow about that, too, because, man, uh, this would be one for the ages. Uh, CSU Ram, friend of the show, is like still complaining about his uh, Achilles tear from like four years ago. So um, anyways. Uh, the other guy I wanted to get your take on, Evan, who didn't have a move in the top 150, but I know you've seen the hype on him. There are reports out of New Orleans where Jared Cook is just a go-to guy every practice for Drew Brees. They're installing the same game plan, the same plays they had for Jimmy Graham when Jimmy Graham was there. You have Jared Cook as the tight end, 886th overall, well behind Vance McDonald, well behind Hunter Henry. Have you considered buying into the preseason hype and moving up Jared Cook? 
I, I just I think I have Jared Cook as high as I can justify him. He's going to be the number three passing game option at best on a pretty run-heavy Saints team. They were fifth in rushing attempts last year. They were 13th in rushing attempts the year before. And I don't really see that changing much. You have Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara as the target hogs. And then it's Jared Cook and Ted Ginn and probably Traquan Smith. What, what Jared Cook really had going for him the last couple of years in Oakland was that he was the clear-cut number one option for much of last year. Uh, and then he was, you know, the one slash two along with Amari Cooper um, beyond that. Uh, but he's not going to be that in New Orleans. I have him as the tight end eight. Uh, I'm not going to move him ahead of Vance McDonald, who's my tight end seven and plays on the pass heaviest team in the league. And he's going to be an every down player this year. We, we will discuss this extensively on uh, the, uh, uh, the the upcoming podcast about um, – What's it? Oh, it's preseason takeaways. Yep. Yeah, some really good news on Vance McDonald. A bunch of news on the Steelers. So look for that. Uh, but then my then my tight ends four through six are OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, and Hunter Henry, and I have them in their own tier. So I feel pretty good about where I have Jared Cook right now as the tight end eight, and that's right in line with his ADP. Yeah, I totally agree. I would prefer everybody in that tier ahead by a good margin. Uh, I think I would definitely prefer though Jared Cook over uh, David Njoku by a pretty wide margin for me but I I hear you and and we don't know for sure and actually we kind of think that ideally the Saints don't want to be very voluminous in the past game ideally they want to be uh more run heavy than I think people realize uh okay Nick Chubb Evan is up to the RB8 13th overall in your update however still behind James Conner still behind Le'Veon Bell uh Nick Chubb is set up at least for the first nine weeks at least until Kareem Hunt gets back uh comes off suspension uh, Nick Chubb is set up to, I think, absolutely destroy Duke Johnson gone, major goal line role, really exciting offense. I also think I would add that Nick Chubb, I believe, is like 6,400 on DK in week one, would expect him to be among the most popular uh, players and with good reason home against Tennessee. Uh, Evan, have you you moved Nick Chubb up? Have you thought about going above Connor and Le'Veon? Oh, yeah. I mean, if the season just went from in weeks one through nine, then I would have Nick Chubb in the first tier among mm-hmm. running backs. Uh, unfortunately, he's got that, you know, the issue that when Kareem Hunt, if he comes back, which he probably will, then he's going to hurt Nick Chubb in the fantasy playoffs. Um, so that's the big concern. Trust me, I'm going to be using Nick Chubb as much as I can in daily fantasy. And I want him on my team. I, I you know, especially in the overall rankings in the top 150, I try to just jam him up as high as I possibly can. It's just hard to get over Le'Veon and James Conner because of that Kareem Hunt late season mm-hmm. concern. Uh, but but Nick Chubb, he I had had him down at uh, RB10, but he got an obvious bump when the Browns traded Duke Johnson because it could potentially unlock Nick Chubb in the passing game. Last year, Nick Chubb in his 10 starts averaged only 2.8 targets per game. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Dontrell Hilliard will be involved, and I really like Dontrell Hilliard actually as a late-round fantasy pick at Jam him up into the top 150. But I don't think that uh, Dontrell Hilliard is going to play as much as Duke Johnson did. Last year, Duke Johnson actually played 42% of the Browns' offensive snaps. And I'd be very surprised if Dontrell Hilliard got there. I think that Nick Chubb now has a shot to be an every-down running back. Oh, yeah. Really exciting for Nick Chubb. And speaking of that Duke Johnson fallout, uh, I thought Kiki Kute had a rough few days there. I mean, first, uh, they get 
Duke Johnson, who's going to take away some short area target share. And then also Kiki Kute, can't shake the injury bug, uh, goes down in preseason week one. But a guy you recently moved up just a couple spots, just a small little bump. But you gave Will Fuller a bump from wide receiver 32 to wide receiver 30. Will Fuller is coming off an ACL tear. However, reports have been extremely glowing uh, on Will Fuller. We know what he's been able to do with Deshaun Watson in the past, I don't think Duke Johnson affects Will Fuller nearly as much as he affects Kiki Kute. Uh, where are you at on Will Fuller? Yeah, this is a, another situation where I just want to have Will Fuller ahead of his ADP because I want to be drafting him myself and I want you know the established the run team to be getting him. Um, so I just want to make sure I'm always like four or five spots ahead of his ADP. Mm. Um, so he, he's been healthy uh, in training camp. Health has always been the biggest question for Will Fuller since he got into the league. He has 11 touchdowns over his last 16 games. Kiki Kute now questionable for week one due to that ankle injury. So Will Fuller is a guy that I want. And right now I have him as the wide receiver 31. I've been looking at uh, maybe moving him up a, a few more spots too. His ADP right now is wide receiver 35. So if you're using the rankings and you're using the tiers, good chance you'll be drafting Will Fuller. And that's that's something that I want. You know, I, I want him – as my wide receiver four and would not even be um, disappointed if I took him as my wide receiver uh, three uh, after like going running back heavy in the early rounds. Yeah. Uh, Like guys like Will Fuller was like a big turning point for me in playing uh, DFS cash, like on DraftKings in the past. Like when I first started playing, I would never use like a really high a dot, a really high average depth of target guy who was only going to get, you know, six or seven targets. But then man, I mean, all you need is like, when Will Fuller is down there at like 4K, 4,500 as he was, and I'm not saying he'll be there uh, this year on DK, but all you need is a couple of those, one or two of those long passes, and he's just smashing. He just has upside to break uh, the slate for you, which I think makes a big difference rather than taking a lot of the safety on some of these uh, possession guys. All right. Anyways, we're going to get in all into all that DFS stuff closer to the season. Uh, for Evan's Top 150, which we discussed here, he's dedicated his entire life to keeping it updated for you guys and making sure it's the best that it can be. Uh, it's all he does. You can find it in our draft kit, which is if, if you purchase a la carte by itself, it's only $30. Check that out at establishtherun.com. All right. Now we're going to welcome good friend of the show, a guest, Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Fantasy to talk about a couple issues, a couple uh, overarching issues as people's season long drafts approach. I, I can't believe, Evan, that these tweets that you made uh, became so controversial. I don't see these topics as, con- as controversial at all. But if you go into the mentions, uh, they are controversial. Evan, why don't you tell the people the two things that you tweeted, uh, and then we'll get into the first one. Yeah, I tweeted about how I think that early drafts, uh, more so than late drafts, reward skill, hard work, and foresight. And, that, and also that I think that every league this year should add a flex. And I don't care if you already have a flex spot add another one. Um, And I know that Scott is also passionate about these two subjects. We've talked publicly and privately about these. Um, So I was excited to bring him on uh, to discuss them. But let's talk about the first one though, Scott. What are your feelings about early versus late drafts? Yeah, the the way I've always felt is that I don't think every smart owner wants to draft early, although a lot of them do. But I feel like everybody who's more of a hobbyist 
needs to draft late because they're going to need that definition. They need to know where the job battles are. They need to have dots connected. And if you're a skilled player and you draft early, you're going to be able to see things coming before they're actually defined, clarified by a team, before everything's obvious and the ADPs have crystallized. So as a skilled player, I think you're gaining a lot from those early drafts. And people can say, well, you know, what if I get draft guys and my team ends up being injured or whatever? I mean, that's, you can never get away from injuries in the NFL. They're going to come and get you in June, July, August during the season. You just have to accept that. Another good reason to draft early is if you're in a league in some kind of contest that has an overall component to it, I think your chances of drafting a juggernaut team are a lot better early in the draft season. Say if you were, and now Evan, I know this is something you were in on. If you saw maybe the Josh Gordon situation playing out as it looks like it's played out where he's going to be a part of the Patriots this year, you saw that coming early on. You could have gotten him almost any round you wanted to. And now you've made a huge profit, presumably, that he plays. I know we can never really assume what's going to happen with Josh Gordon. But the point is, if you saw this coming ahead of time, you had a chance to maybe hit a monster profit on that. And you're going to have more striation in the ADPs and more striation in the player values. Your chances of assembling a team, because people haven't figured out the new snow yet. They haven't figured out the route that they want to take. So your chances of building your best juggernaut in an overall contest is going to be early in the draft season. Another reason just to draft early is just you know, these best ball drafts, which are most of my early drafts, most of my seasonal drafts come later in the draft season. We're learning about the player pool. We're trying different strategies. You want to get as many reps as you can. If you want to get better at something, you, you do more reps. You do more reps in the weight room. You do more reps as a podcaster. You do more reps you know, in your social life if you want to become more confident. I mean, more reps are always a good thing. And I think drafting early in these best ball leagues is the best way to get associated with the player pool. But from a skill perspective, the point is, Evan, you can connect dots. Adam, you can connect dots before things are obvious. I think I can do that too. So let's draft when there's still more uncertainty in the pool and we can let our skill kind of take over. Yeah. To me, it's just any market gets sharper as more liquid gets into it. So like uh, the opening line for an NFL game uh, may not be that sharp. And then by the time Sunday kickoff comes down, it's almost certainly exactly right. You could say the same thing about a lot of other markets. As they get more liquid, uh, they get sharper. The line becomes right. The ADP in this case becomes right. So it's just so obvious to me that like if you're working hard, uh, if you're following the news all year round and you were taking Chris Godwin in the eighth round, you know, you saw that he was going to go to the fourth. If you knew about Curtis Samuel uh, going in the ninth round or the 10th round or the 11th round, now he's going in the seventh. Uh, you know, the, if you knew that, we're aware of Ezekiel Elliott's contract situation, how good Tony Pollard is. Uh, you could have gotten him like in the 20th round. Uh, now I've seen him go as high as like the ninth or 10th. So to me, it's a, it's a no brainer. I think for a lot of people listening though, they're like, Hey, I'm just a casual guy. I don't want to, uh, you know, spend all this time grinding all year round. I'm going to wait for Adam and Evan and Scott to, uh, you know, talk about all this stuff on the podcast and everything. And then by the time September 1st comes around, I'll feel really good. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, Evan. You know, like guys who want to draft late and acquire as much information as they can. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Are you following me there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I am not against drafting late. You know, I draft late in a bunch of leagues. Actually, my two biggest money leagues are uh, like $1,850 buy-ins on FFPC. And we're drafting both of those pretty late. We haven't drafted those yet. Drafting late is great, but I just suggest to people that are working hard and, and want to gain a competitive advantage based on that hard work and the time that they've put in, they should at least try some early drafts and not wait for their opponents to get, you know, 
information that levels the playing field. The, the most common rebuttal when you talk about drafting early is that people are afraid of preseason injuries. And then they point to anecdotal evidence like Jordy Nelson tearing his ACL in the preseason like five years ago. And there are lots and lots of problems with this reasoning because, first of all, everyone in the league is taking on the exact same risk when you draft early. Um, injuries during the preseason are much more rare, I think, than, than people seem to think. Starters barely play in the preseason, and they're playing less and less every single year. I mean, you have coaches like Sean McVay and Matt Nagy who are pretty much not even playing their starters at all. Um, and injuries are much, much likelier to happen in week one than any point in the preseason. There's typically a big wave of injuries during those first few regular season weeks, and then it calms down a bit as the season progresses. I, I just I think that people are kind of um, afraid of change, um, you know, afraid of doing things differently. Uh, and that, that kind of uh, is a good segue for our next topic, which is adding a flex spot. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think all leagues should get rid of kickers. And although I do think selecting a defense is skillful, more skillful than kicker, perhaps. And I think there is some skill in selecting a kicker, but flex spots are always extra flex spots in the place of those to me are always going to be uh, a more ideal league, but there's a lot of reasons that flexes, uh, more flexes are better. Uh, Scott, how many flexes are too many? Can we ever have too many flexes? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> just from a, a strictly base football fan standpoint, you add more flexes, you're going to have more to root for. You're going to have more likely an interest in a Thursday night game that may not interest you. Otherwise that's what the NFL was really built for, right? That I mean all the office pools and the point spreads, the idea that you could have an interest in a dog of a game because you have a, a betting interest or a fantasy interest, a DFS interest, whatever it may be. So you're going to have more going on, more action, which is good. But it's going to add skill to your league. Uh, if I were to make a bet with Steph Curry, a, a three-point bet, and the choices were, do you want to go one shot or do you want to go 50 shots? I would obviously take one shot because maybe I'll be lucky and hit it. Maybe he'll miss. Over 50-shot sample, I'd have no chance to beat Steph Curry. And that's what we're looking at, maybe not the greatest analogy, but what we're trying to do is add skill to our league. We want outliers to matter less. We want a first quarter injury to matter less. And as you add more flex players into your format, you're going to see that happen. Now, if you want to get a little bit more specific about this, I think Superflex, we were talking about this before we, we hit air on this show, that uh, Superflex is a really good way to be a proxy for a two-quarterback league. I know that may be over some people's heads or maybe a little bit too complicated. Maybe you have to walk before you run. but and also, I commonly hear with, with flex, with adding extra flexes, oh, are there enough good players? I'm going to be drafting fullbacks. I'm going to be drafting backup tight ends. You know, what, what fun is that? Keep in mind that most teams, it was 15, 20 years ago, teams were using two receiver sets. Most teams had one primary back, and that was it. Now we're at a time where most teams have two backs who touch the ball a lot. It's very common to see an NFL team have two fantasy backs who carry value, and a lot of teams have more than two guys. Look at the Patriots or the Eagles, for example. They may have multiple guys who get work every week. And three receivers is basically the base offense in the NFL now. So the player pool won't be as diluted as you think. You'll have more to root for. You're going to iron out those outliers. So if you're a skilled player, my angle to you is it's going to give you more of a winning edge. It's going to increase your EV. And if you're more of a casual fan, say, hey, look, it's going to be more action for you. It's going to probably help you get a better shape of the NFL player pool. And I think you'll have more fun on Sunday and Monday because you'll have a little bit more going on. Right. I, I think Evan, the argument again is, is the, argue, the only argument I can think of against is that like, you know, Susan from accounting or whatever, she drafts in 
uh, July and she's not working hard. She's not prepared. And then you also have like three flexes and you have to go really deep and know, you know, who's what's going on in the position battle for like the number three wideout job in uh, Kansas City or, or Houston or something like that, you know, or Cleveland. Uh, she's in big trouble. She's like drawing stone dead, right? So again, this would be one where I would say, yeah, if you're a skilled player, you're looking for an edge. Uh, again, more flex spots is going to be better. Yeah, and, and first of all, like fantasy football is a decision-making game. It's it's all about making decisions. This is why like poker players, I think, gravitate toward fantasy football um, is because it's all about making decisions. What strategy are you going to go into your draft with? Uh, who are you going to pick when you're on the clock? Are you going to accept that trade? How much of your free agent budget are you going to spend on this guy or that guy, et cetera? And then by adding a flex spot, you're injecting more decision-making into your draft and into your start-sit decisions every week. And in a decision-making game, by adding more decisions, you are rewarding the most skilled decision-makers in your league. And, you know, we've come a long way from even five years ago when people would just buy an outdated magazine off the store shelf and bring that with them to the draft and draft based on that. And we've come, we've become a lot more knowledgeable um, about the NFL coverage of NFL teams is better than it was five, six years ago. We have at least two newspapers covering every team. We have the athletic, which has taken team coverage to an entirely new level. Uh, We have access to just a lot more information, a lot better information. And by the end of August, any decent fantasy football player is aware of basically every starting skill position player on every team and probably the primary backup to every starter. So, you know, more players should matter in our leagues. It's just a natural evolution. Mm-hmm. We're not in the stone age anymore and we should be adjust, adjusting accordingly and pushing this thing forward instead of just staying stuck in the mud. Yeah. It's such a great answer. And I would also say that about increasing the decisions that go into a fantasy football season, it's also a great reason to try an auction. It used to be, well, I can't do have a fantasy auction because it takes too long. We can't get everybody together. There are a bunch of websites. Yahoo's one of them, but there's many websites now you can run a fantasy auction on. And no more of this, oh, I got the 11th pick. I really like Kamara this year. Well, I guess I'm just out of that business. In an auction, you can have so many more strategies are viable. You could buy all-star. You could buy the best three or four running backs in the league if you wanted to, or you could just say, oh, no, I want to have a spread the risk team. Again, you're increasing different paths. You're increasing more, you're adding more choices to your game. I think Evan really knocked out of the park with that answer, but I'm all for making our games more dynamic. And that's what adding a flex will do. It'll make your game more dynamic. I love it. This is what we're here for, to push the game forward. Uh, Absolutely love it. All right. Uh, We are going to leave it there. Big thanks to Scott for popping on. On this topic, I think it's super interesting for all of our season-long players that are out there listening. Scott, tell the people where they can check you out. They can check out your work, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. Uh, 19 hours a day, probably. You can catch me there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all my work is on Yahoo. Let's do a Yahoo search on Yahoo and Scott Pianowski. And uh, you'll see my baseball podcast if you play fantasy baseball. I also do a football podcast with Michael Salfino. So I have my foot in a, a bunch of different sports. I realize football is the fantasy king, but uh, basically Twitter is the best place to get me and my work at Yahoo. Yeah, Twitter really is the best. I, in 19 hours sounds excessive, Scott, but but uh, I do love it on Twitter. All right, for Scott, for Evan, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.